bronche, bronche. That's how we say brunch. Here's to the ladies who stay busy with their lunch. Yo anda bochinche. Paquete con pinche. You know what they said? Got too busy, got too thinking. Aquí en esta mesa se respeta como ñón. Si la copa está llena, yo te doy la bendición. So what if we get batches? We from the Bronx. That's it. Don't get it twisted. We be going to Manhattan. Be a queen. Be a boss. Ladies who brunch are popping off. Hey, we pop, pop, and pop it off. We, we pop, pop, All pop right. The episode's about to start. What's up, everybody? And welcome to another episode of Ladies Who Bronche. I am Julissa. What's good, everybody? This is Skittles. And today is another very special episode of season five. I keep on getting a lot of, like, my favorite women on the same episode. This is so <laughs> exciting. Today, we have my college bestie. Yes. She is an, a classically trained opera singer. What? She is very much an Aries. She's a, a, a workaholic. Whatever she puts her mind to, she just, she just goes after it and works hard for it. Right now, she's working for Google, and I will let her tell us a lot about what she does at Google later on. But honestly, she is... One of my therapists, one of my best friends, she helps me with a lot of the behind the scenes with Skittles Music TV. And whenever I'm with her, it is just a party. It is a turn up. And I'm so excited to introduce everybody to Jessica Williams. Who the fuck are you? What's good? What's good? <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much, ladies and for having me today. What's up, everybody? I'm Jessica Williams. Uh, like Sybil says, we met in college. Um, but yeah, I I am professionally trained in opera. I have a bachelor's degree from Westminster Choir College where me and Skittles met. And I have a uh, master's degree from University of Delaware, also in voice performance. Um, many different passions. And one of those passions is being an admin and administrator. So I've worked for many, many different nonprofits, um, working with at-risk youth and, and programming activities for them, after-school programs, uh, and that has just transitioned to planning programming for Googlers, uh, working at Google now. So I'm an admin there, I work in ads marketing, um, and I support three separate teams. So it's a global team, so I support a lot of different people around the world. Um, right now we're working from home, so it's just a lot of calendar management and planning virtual events, which is pretty cool. Yes. So Jessica, let's dive in a little bit into your musical journey. So where did it begin and how did it flourish into you becoming an actual like classically trained singer? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I know for a fact I started singing in preschool and in church. Uh, grew up in a Baptist church with my family. So uh, that's where I started to sing in choir and just loved it in elementary school, sang in choir. Middle school is when I started to do musicals. So I was in a bunch of plays. I had like my first like big role in middle school. I was Aunt Polly in Tom Sawyer. Uh -huh. And it was like such a big deal because within that musical, Aunt Polly's a pretty big uh, character. And she's got about like nine different solos or eight something, eight solos or something like that. So it was pretty big. My family was like, oh, that's so cute. Like you're gonna, they gave you such a big role. That's adorable. <laughs> but apparently she turned it out. It was really good. So yeah, the family was very surprised. And from there, uh, that was really where I found just like my passion for music and being a part of a production. And yeah, that went into high school musicals and selective choir in high school, 
traveling around the country doing different tours in high school mm-hmm. to then you know wanting to pursue music as a study and as a career and, and something that I wanted to focus on so that was a big push for my family to do that my family is very very like work driven like making sure you have a good job so music wasn't really the option but it was what I told my parents I wanted to do and you know they they honestly sacrificed so much for their kids to have what they want so eventually they were fully on board knowing that I was a responsible person so then I got bachelor's degree and master's degree in opera and I love it and mm-hmm. you know now singing professionally well not now unfortunately because of COVID but Yes. And so right now you are located in California. Yes. And you work in admin, but how do you feed that like musical like need? Yeah, so I was I've been doing that. That's why I moved to the Bay Area, California, is to sing with uh, the company Opera San Jose there. So that's how I was doing it. I was doing part-time at Opera San Jose and full-time at the time I was working. Well, when I first moved to California, I had like five different jobs at the same time on top of, of wow. opera. But then I, finally, <laughs> and she's always been like this. Like even in college, like she stayed on campus in college, freshman and sophomore year, and then junior year moved off campus. But and the entire time had like four different jobs on and off campus yeah. that she was just constantly working working like she worked at the pub you worked at admissions work, admissions she and was like the orientation, orientation person that all the freshman people met yeah like so yeah I've always worked I've always worked a lot I've always had multiple jobs it's never just been one job for me I would say this is the this is the probably first time in my life that I've just had one job and that's because mm-hmm. I'm not singing with the opera right now because of COVID. So, mm-hmm. but that is how I maintain that. I also mm-hmm. continue to sing with my church. It's not necessarily classical singing, but it, it keeps that going. So I am still doing that even though we're in COVID right now. It's a different system, but it's still doing that. Wow. So <clears throat> tell us a little bit about Google. <laughs> what do you want to know um yeah so i i've been working there now for a year just about it'll be a year in about two weeks i can't believe it it's been been wild uh it definitely to be honest was not like a goal job it wasn't like a dream to work at google um but i moved to the bay area that's the silicon valley where a bunch of tech companies are um i would say every other person that you can bump into in the bay area works in tech um, it's, it's pretty wild there. So I was first at Stanford University for two years, and then I wanted to transition. I like to challenge myself. I like to push myself. I like to branch out and try different things. I think that just keeps, you know, life exciting. Um, I like to support people, um, and I like to support a cause. I like to support something to me that feels important, um, that adds purpose. And it wasn't that I wasn't continuing to find that at Stanford. I was. I just wanted to push myself and how much I could, uh, how much I could do, and continue to learn as an admin. Um, so I knew someone who was working at Google, and uh, they gave me a referral. And three months later, I got a job. So I work in ads marketing, which essentially they do ads for all of Google. So if you see an ad on YouTube. If you see an ad pop up on the internet, if you see an ad pop up on 
kind of a lot of different platforms. Yeah. Um, TV, commercials, like that is what my team does. Um, you'll, so you'll see a lot of different advertisements from Google. Um, those are essentially my teams. So I support three different directors. Um, it's a lot of calendar management because they, they meet with a lot of different people. Um, so that's honestly 75% of my job. And that sounds like from the outside, that sounds like, oh, she just like does the calendar. It's like a warfare. Yes. <laughs> it's really crazy. Um, and then I also do a bunch of virtual events. Um, well, now virtual events, but I would do in-person events too. Um, so that's pretty fun. A lot of team morale. My team really focuses on, you know, making sure people are mentally healthy and focusing on well-being. Um, we also do a lot of diversity and inclusion initiatives. So I'm a part of that, which is really great. And I love being part of a team that focuses on diversity, inclusion, and equity for a lot of different underrepresented groups. Um, so I love being a part of teams that focus on that. They take a lot of time out of their day to make sure that those things are, are happening, which is appreciative because they are busy, busy schedules. So it's amazing to see them take huge chunks out of their day to just focus on just focus on diversity and inclusion. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much what I do. Yes. So we're going to start with a bunch of questions. And our very first question is, when you go out to brunch with the girls, what is your go-to brunch plate? Um, I have to say I'm basically going for protein, steak and eggs. <laughs> you just, I, I, I don't, I haven't found a better dish than that. Um, different variations of it, of course, when you go to different brunch spots. There could also be like a French toast in there mm. that may pop up. Um, but yeah, I would say it's definitely going to always be some type, or at least that's definitely where I'm looking first is some yes. kind of steak and egg they got. <laughs> I think how do you take your steak, Jessica? Medium. <laughs> medium. Medium. Give me some red. Need it. I was saying how ironic that I'm asking her this question when she's literally one of the ladies who brunch at. Like, this is my, like, <laughs> go-to brunch. Always. Always uh, so when you are also out to brunch, what is your go-to drink? Um, yeah, a mimosa standard, standard mimosa. I also like to go for, you know, something with, like, a fruit, maybe, like, grapefruit. Mm -hmm. um, to have like a nice flavor in it would be really good. Um, sometimes a mar. Yeah. yeah. A margarita breakfast is pretty decent. It's very refreshing. Yeah. So they have like a different kind of like flavored margarita and they mm. go for that too for brunch. Yeah. yeah. So tell us, say that again. Sangria. I miss sangria. <laughs> I love a good sangria. So tell us a little bit about what it was like going out to eat when you were growing up. Oh man, yeah. So that that's funny on different levels. My family's pretty um, introverted. Uh, my dad is very introverted, so does not like to be around like a bunch of people. So we would always try to find like a table where there weren't a lot of people because it would just help my family feel more comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah but we went out to eat a lot um my mom is not really a cook uh bless her heart bless her spirit <laughs> she's, just, she's just not really a cook um we we cooked my grandma cooked a lot when she lived with us uh she's been gone now about 
four or five years now. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I got a lot of the cooking skills from her, but my family went out to eat a lot. So it was, uh, you know, various, various different kind of restaurants, American style restaurants, franchisees. But yeah, it was mostly just like trying to find the place where it could warm a lot of people. So that is so interesting that that's like part of the, the, the staunch memory of going out is the getting the right seat is <laughs> yes it is yes and not and it not being cold because my mom like if you sat her under a table that had like the slightest breeze uh-uh we had to move she can't eat when she's cold so i can't even tell you how many restaurants we've been to where we've had to change tables Mm. <laughs> <laughs> enjoying how this is the first time I've, we've gotten an answer this particular before um, yeah, we <laughs> <laughs> so what is your favorite bochincha topic to discuss over a meal um i would say a lot of family like a lot of family topics always come up i feel like work always is a topic that comes up um you know just definitely a future like dreams is definitely a conversation that always comes up it's not really about kind of what's happening in the world to be honest I don't know if that's intelligent or not but it's really just about I guess because time around the table especially with family is about family and mm -hmm. it's about reconnecting and especially now that we're older we're all in different places um, living in different areas we're not together as a family a lot so uh, especially with my family, it's definitely just talking about the future and kind of dreams. If it's with my friends, it's also kind of talking about the future, right? Like, what are we doing? What are we pursuing? Um, what's the next trip, right? What's the next vacation that we're going to take as a friend group? Um, where are we trying to be within a year? Like, kind of what are we looking for? I know some people are talking about dogs and, mm. you know, and, you know, possible, me too, right? Like, <laughs> you know, possibly, like, living somewhere else or, like, dreams of owning, like, property somewhere else. Like, you know, so it's always great to have those conversations because it's always just good to see how people are constantly, I don't want to say reinventing themselves, but pushing themselves to be in the kind of the next place they want to be at. Hundred percent, a hundred percent, awesome. Oh, can I have some? Okay. okay, cool. So now we're going to move into our tuta loca is section where we call out motherfuckers who are doing the most. Motherfucker being mother nature because daylight saving time comes every year. This is nothing new. Okay, no surprises. But this year, five o'clock. I feel like I start my day three hours past and it's night. Yeah. <laughs> It's way too ridiculous. I literally, it's kind of like fucking with my like internal clock because it'll be five o'clock and it's dark outside already, but my body will like fast forward and I'll feel like, all right, it's 10 o'clock, like time to start get, getting ready for bed. And it's so weird to experiencing, experience it this way. And I wonder if it's because now that we're at home, you know, we don't have the usual tricks of being distracted by certain things to not notice how quickly the sun actually disappears in the day. This shit has me, like, literally, I feel like I'm tweaking some days. I'm like, yo, 7 p.m. and I'm ready. I'm ready for bed. I was just about to say that. It's like, I'm I'm tired and, like, ready for bed by 7.30. It's like 7.30, I'm ready to be knocked out and not wake up until the next day. It's really wild. But I think, like, kind of what you're saying is right. Like, being at home, like the day really ends when the sun goes down. There you go. The day really ends, the day really ends when the sun 
time goes down, like you're not like commuting like you used to, like there's not as many things that keep you out, you know, um, even though the sun has already gone down, Mm -hmm. like, you know, it would have been when we were kind of in like our our normal routines. Um, But now we're home, like schedules are done, like there's nowhere else you can really go out. It's like when that sun is out, so are you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no. And even yesterday, it was funny because our reservation for dinner was 5 p.m. And it was already getting dark when we were on our way at 4 p.m. And so it felt like we were out for a night on the town and it was really like an early evening Mm -hmm. on the town, but it was just like that mindset. Like, I feel like the day just goes mad quickly. Even now, like it's, it's 2.45 and it feels like the sun is already starting. Yeah, it feels like five o'clock. It's getting ready. It's getting ready. And honestly, like, it's just, I'm, I'm a little worried if the COVID numbers keep going up and like shit gets crazy and that that feeling of lockdown, like extra lockdown on top of that early sun is really going to have us out here just like, like bears. Like, I feel like we might actually like hibernate this yeah. winter. There's just nothing. My body just doesn't want to do anything after dark. I have no enthusiasm because it's cold outside. So it's not like I'm excited to be out catching this wind. So... I don't know. It's just fucking with me. And I think that there's a lot of preventative things that people can do. So seasonal depression is real. And, uh, you know, I feel like because we don't name it that a lot of times we're just like, yeah, what's wrong with me? And we walk around all winter wondering what's wrong with us when it could be legitimate, you know, seasonal depression, the weather changing does affect our bodies. We are in sync with nature in that way, in the same way that like when the moon shifts, right? Like that, that fucks with our emotions. So you know, I feel like it's important for folks to remember self-care and that looks different for everybody. So if there are days you're glued to the couch and you're Netflix and chilling, then that's what you did today. Give yourself permission. Um, if you stay home and, you know, you do a little spa day for yourself, give yourself permission. If all you do is sleep, give yourself permission. Like there's just a lot of um, emotional burden that comes, especially during a holiday season where there's an, a pandemic and like holidays don't even look the same anymore mm-hmm. we're gonna be in our bag but it really feels brutal this year is all I'm saying especially given like the fact that we just are in not and I don't I almost want to say we're coming out of but we're not really coming out of at the height of COVID like when it was March and April May June we were on lockdown to the point where time cease to exist like yeah. it really it really showed us how time is really just this construct that like it don't matter whether the sun is up blah, 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 whatever because you was we were just all really just staying home and not going out for anything so then going back into that and like having it get dark early when we already have been for so long constrained to our apartments already it's like a double whammy like, yeah it doesn't feel right But, you know, I think we will survive. Again, just be aware of what you need, what your body is asking for. It is absolutely natural. Our bodies do slow down in the winter. Yeah. It's true. It's a scientific fact. So, yeah. Don't allow yourself naturally inside, too, because it gets cold out. Don't allow yourself to freak out about the seasonal colds that are happening. I know that there have been some people coming down with colds and people start freaking out because they're like, oh my God, do I have COVID? I need to get a test. Like, this happens naturally. People get sick during this time of year naturally, mm-hmm. you know. 
So don't, get this to work for Also, don't be afraid to like go for a walk if you need to. Like sit out on your terrace, get that fresh air. Yeah. Let this make sure that you are seeing the sun because it's also easy to go days without going outside. Like that's me. Sorry, I needed my water. That's me. <laughs> I definitely easily. I'm like, oh, it's been three days. I should go take a walk. <laughs> I haven't been. Yeah. I haven't left the house. Yeah. <laughs> for sure. But we got this, you know, we got this. Best of luck to all of us in our hibernation seasons. May, you know, our bellies be full and the fat burn off quickly. Ooh, we got- this looks good. Oh my God, this is delicious. I definitely want to taste that. Mm. Oh my God. Mm. Wait, can you pass the salt? Mm. All right, and now we are moving into our plate of the day. Growing up with white folk. So I am really excited to be talking about this because I think I had, there are certain parallels in my growing up that I, I, I could identify with, with people who grew up around white people, not because I grew up around white people, the opposite, but because my indulgence of white culture made me stick out in a way that people were like, oh, so like you're basically white. And then I was the white person, even though I'm not a white person. Um, but I, I've always wondered what it actually w- felt like to grow up in a community where there were a lot of white people. Um, and so when we sort of teased about this last night, I was like, holy shit, yeah. I didn't even actually realize that about your upbringing. And it then made me realize how little I know in general about your upbringing and your relationship not only growing up in a white community, but like what that meant for your your proximity of blackness and how people may or may not bring your blackness into question and and digging into that in a very specific way. But I wanted to start off sort of um, just asking, what is your relationship with your blackness? Like what what is, if you could, whatever that means to you, what is your relationship with your blackness? Yeah, yeah. That took me, honestly, forever to kind of figure out. Um, And it's not even that I have figured it out, to be honest. It's more of just kind of like, I'm okay with kind of where it is within my journey of just like being myself, right? Just being authentic to who I am. Um, So just kind of taking in that way. But kind of the road to discovery was just kind of figuring out one, like what does it mean to be Black either way? Like what is that definition? Um, how do you really find that? Um, and if you kind of feel outside of it, like you don't naturally have that kind of innate definition within you, like how do you find that within yourself? So I feel like the first kind of exploration was through music. That was kind of like the easiest thing. And that was honestly just my connection because I connected to music already naturally as a person. Um, it's how I express myself. It's how I connected to my emotions. Um, it's how I communicated sometimes, <laughs> um, was that way. So I always liked kind of more of the hip hop R and B type of music. So naturally it wasn't anything that was forced. Like I was a person like listening to like my CD player handheld to like Jewel Santana on the bus. Right. Like, mm-hmm. you know, when everyone else was listening to like, I don't know. Britney Spears was really popular at the time. Avril Lavigne was really popular at the time um, in like high school. So that was kind of the way I really expressed myself through music. I remember in elementary school when I was even younger, I ran for like student council secretary um, and I ran under the name Jazzy J. And I like, 
<laughs> I, I wrapped my speech in the cafeteria. And I guess that was another way of like associating myself with black culture, even though like it wasn't something I was really around. And honestly, still at that point, like didn't know what that really meant as was I like trying to be black or was I like, just was that naturally what I wanted to do? So I, it, I struggled a really long wow. time trying to figure out what it meant to be black and how I wanted to relate myself to that or find myself within that culture. And can you tell us where you grew up? Tell us a little, set the context for it. Yeah, uh, so I grew up, yeah, yeah, I grew up in Bucks County, Pennsylvania. Um, if you followed the U.S. election, you may have heard that county come up um, a lot within, you know, the Pennsylvania um, numbers. Uh, so yeah, it's, I grew up across the street from a farm that literally grows corn, um, suburban mm. area. Uh, my high, my elementary school was literally like two blocks away from me. Uh, my elementary school was maybe like a 10 minute drive away and my high school was, you know, pretty close to my high school is very big. I went to Pensbury high school. It, my graduating class was like a thousand people. Okay. Um, the their high school used to like have like this thing on MTV, right? When they used to do like a parade. Yeah. So um, if you look up Pennsbury, if you look up like best prom in America, my high school will come up because one, you have so many people. There's at least like close to 1,500, 2,000 people that go to prom. Um, so that's a huge prom. Um, it's always a different theme. There's a huge like two hour parade before it. And some of the most iconic. Like that's what I'm saying. Um, like on MTV, they had like this special where they were showing the students creating the floats for arriving at their prom. People have come on helicopters. People have come in like clear, like like tanks, like pools, and have like swam and then like changed <laughs> out of their wetsuit and they were in full gowns walking the red carpet into yeah like. There was one that I loved the most that was like a gumball machine. So it was like this gigantic, huge gumball machine. And it just had like balloons in it. And all of the guys were, it was like four guys. They were sitting outside of the gumball machine. They got up to the red carpet. They all had a coin. They put the coin in there and poof, a girl came rolling out of the gumball wow. machine. <laughs> And that was like how they got their their date. Um, and then after all the girls came out, they had like one big coin that said like Pensbury High School on it. They put that in, and then all of the balloons came out of the top of the gumball machine. I think it's safe to say that when we think of high school, well, not not high school, because when we think of like our schooling experience, me and Julissa had a lot more Save the Last Dance, and Jessica had a lot more Saved by the Bell. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so like even if you think of like my music program, like my music program at my school was huge. Yes. Um, every like you had like you either had to be in choir or you selected yourself to be in choir and that was a class. Like that wasn't just mm -hmm. like an like added after school thing. That was a class you took on the regular. Um, and then they had selective choirs which you could audition for and those choirs tended to travel and do tours. Um, and then you had the musicals and dramas. There was like two musicals a year, two dramas a year. We had our own music theater, a music theory teacher. There were other classes that you could take, like elective classes that you could take 
uh, just on music alone. Um, so just in high school, I did two European tours alone. Wow. Germany, Austria, Switzerland, France, Czech Republic twice, my junior year and senior year. Um, so it was, yeah, it was a huge kind of, they put a lot of money into the arts within my school too. And is that, and it, I'm glad you said that they put a lot of money into it because I was about to say, now, like, so that, so yes, it's a predominantly white community. Is that, so, so a predominantly white community, it, would you say that the socioeconomic class is also that, like, like, is it middle-class America? Is it an upper, upper class America? Talk to me a little bit about the finances of the people here. Yeah, I would say it's a little bit of, a slightly a little bit of everything. You have, you definitely have like some lower class because of kind of where the area is. Um, mostly middle class, and then you do ha have some, some like kind of upper middle class. I wouldn't say you had um, like a lot of rich people. Um, they uh, they went to a lot of the kind of local private schools in the area, but kind of the upper middle class people who, um, you know, like yeah, like your doctors or lawyers, um, gotcha. maybe even you know, some people that work within the government, um, but not like super high level positions, like that was the demographic that went to my school. But it was huge. Um, the school used to have, the, well, my district used to have two schools, two high schools. Um, and then right before my freshman year, actually they combined the two high schools. So I would say those two high schools maybe had slightly even different demographics, but then once they combined them, kind of everyone was there. Gotcha. And so, Let's 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 get to the nitty gritty of it. So you're a black girl <laughs> in this white ass community that see you know semi affluent at least you know or mostly affluent. What is your experience in the middle of this being a black woman in this space, and how did your blackness come to your awareness being in those spaces? Yeah, um, I would say it was mostly through like where I figured out my blackness kind of came into play was mostly within music, was in choirs, was in performances. Cause like, who was going to be the lead? Mm. What are we going to look like? Mm. <laughs> um, you know, so, you know, those things definitely came into play and definitely where I felt like, whoa, like I have friends that look like everyone, right? I had Asian friends, I had black friends, I had white friends, I had Hispanic friends. Like I had a ton of different type of looking friends, but when it came to the stuff that I was actually doing and pursuing within school is, you know, where I all of a sudden felt like a black girl and not just a girl. Mm. Um, so in middle school, I tell the story a lot, not in middle school, in elementary school in fourth grade, um, the teacher brought my parents in and, and the principal and they were like, Jessica needs to be in special education classes. Oh. Um, and so they were like, she stares off into space. She doesn't take her coat off when other kids take her coat off and she's not that communicative. So my parents were like, okay, well, that doesn't really help us with kind of figuring out why she needs to be in special education classes. So, you know, a whole lot of things, my parents, you know, are amazing and fought for me to stay in the regular classes with my students. Um, that teacher was talked to because they didn't, we weren't, we were confused as to why all of a sudden I needed to be out of her class, mm. right? Like why all of a sudden I couldn't be there. So it's not definitive that that was necessarily a race thing, but I was definitely being called out for something. Um, and so, yeah, so move, move forward into kind of, 
um, music in the sense of like, you know, I would get, I would audition just like everyone else and I would get a solo and all of a sudden that solo would either be taken and it would be now an ensemble or it was, oh, actually we're going to cut this longer solo into half, Jessica's going to do one part and then we're going to have more people do the other part when that was never originally the case. Um, so that was what happened a lot in elementary school and middle school and high school. It's where um, not necessarily the solos within choir, but within the musicals where um, all of a sudden casts were being split instead of just one cast. Um, and, you know, wanting me to be in it because I was talented, but not knowing where I could visibly be place because of how I, I looked and appeared. Hmm. And, and outside of like school, what was the experience of being in that community? Would you say that microaggressions and things like that were something that were very present or was it one of those things where it was like, yeah, it was obvious that there weren't, there were a lot more white people than everyone else, but nobody talked about it or cared that that was the case. Yeah, I, I mean, I also think it's a little different too. My siblings, we always called ourselves like we're the Williams kids. We always really felt like an exception to the other black people within our community. Of course, there were black people that went to my school, friends that people that we were friends with. We would be accepted different places that a lot of our other black friends would not. Um, I feel like people felt comfortable with me and my siblings and our family because we were talented. My siblings are very intelligent. Um, so they got a lot of different awards and, and recognitions just for their intelligence and being smart. And I, I got a lot of recognition for being talented. Um, so we were an exception to a lot of the rules within my community. Um, so I would say microaggressions in the sense of, I mean, yes, I got them, but also seeing how my other friends were definitely treated differently than I was. I wonder how much, like, cause I know that your father and your mother both were people that went to college. Like they're both educated. Mm -hmm. Your father was a fraternity so guy. Yeah. Your mom was in a sorority. I wonder how much that played into you guys be, be being the exception like or if because they went through these levels of education and training or whatever if that then affected how they brought you up to then you know like yeah. how, how, what where's how, the influence that makes the difference in the experience yeah, so, i mean the influence there is like my dad he's from detroit michigan and my mom is from Shreveport, louisiana like my parents grew up in black communities, fully black communities. Um, my mom grew up in the hood. She grew up in the ghetto. Um, they, you know, they ended up going to school together in, at Fisk University, so the HBCU in uh, Nashville, Tennessee. And that's where they met. Um, they wanted a different life for their kids. They wanted more opportunities, um, opportunities that they didn't get growing up. Um, so I wouldn't necessarily say that there was like an influence based on the, their educational background, but an, a definitely an influence based on their values and what they wanted for their kids and kind of a life that they dreamed of having for their kids. I wouldn't even say they had that dream for themselves, to be mm -hmm. honest. They had 
that dream to literally have children so that those children could have a better chance at life. Um, so they left their communities, they left their friends, they left their, their mm-hmm. church, their family, um, and moved to Pennsylvania of all states, <laughs> um, where they had no community, no friends, no family, um, just to be able to make sure that their kids grew up in a different neighborhood, um, in a different kind of education system, and a different demographic than they did. So, no, no, I was going to say, I'd be interested to how the rest of the family responds to y'all in terms of like, how you, is, is it the case that you guys are an exception to what, you know, the turnout was in, in the families on either side, or is it just the case that you guys do come from a lineage of folks where people, a bunch of people did that. So not just your parents, but their siblings, right? And that there's this idea that the Williams family, you know, though not in the same community now does have the same sort of status or, or is it one of those things? I guess the real question I'm asking is, is it one of those things where it's like, y'all are looked at as bougie and different from the family? Or is it like, oh, no, nah, yeah, like that is the posture that this family has taken. And so it's not looked at as a, mm-hmm, they think they're better than us. Or is it a like, nah, they're, they're with us. It, it's a little bit of both, to be honest, because one, my family, period, are all driven like work with, we are a working family, extended family, like everyone across the board just works, 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 works. Like just, you know, it's Thanksgiving. We just had like a family Zoom call and someone just announced that, um, that they weren't at like any kind of family gathering because they had to work and people were cheering. <laughs> so <laughs> they were like, yeah, yeah, work, yeah. Don't <laughs> take off for family holidays. Wow. Like, you know, yeah, you gotta work, yeah, yeah. So that's really where my family comes from. So, you know, my my siblings and my parents, we do a lot and, and we have we have succeeded and, and done a lot. So there is pride from, you know, my extended family with that of what we're doing and being very proud of, you know, what I'm doing within my work, what my mm. brother's doing within his work and within his school, what my sister's doing within his work. It's all pretty extraordinary and big things that are happening. Um, but then there is the sense of we didn't grow up in the same community right Mm. we we grew up in different communities so me and my siblings at a lot of the holiday parties were kind of in the corner by ourselves because other than like the hey how you doing how's everything been there's not much else in common to communicate about just because we simply grew up differently Mm. so even though my family does everything has done everything they could to give the next generation um, more opportunities we just grew up in different places so that already means we're at a different level just simply because of where we live and where we grew up um i'm interested to hear a little bit about your experience in college because we went to college together and um our school was a very white school predominantly yeah. white school sure. and i feel like we had very unique experiences you being a black girl from the suburbs me being a Latino from the inner city and then having come into our school to put into context, I, I went to college with six other inner city minorities, you know? Um, and so it was very, very easy for the black kids to stick together because there was only so few of us, but Jessica was one of those people that was able to kind of 
Go ahead, go ahead. Wow. So yeah. like kind of speak on that, like what's your experiences with that? And yeah, I think, and I think that comes kind of goes back to the first question, right? Of like, where do I identify, like, where do I see myself um, within the black community and how do I identify myself there? Eventually I came to the point where I was just like, I'm black. Like there's not much else I can do about <laughs> it. Um, I can't be a certain way. I can't act a certain way. I just have to kind of be who I am. Um, I, I grew up in the suburbs, yes. Um, I, I can code switch pretty easily, yes, because that's just how I grew up. I grew up having white friends where all we were listening to were in sync and, and um, I can't even think of all of white the, just, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, it's, but it's amazing because that's music I love too. Like one mm-hmm. of my favorite bands in the world is Paramore and Paramore was I like, Paramore. yeah, my gosh, it's just good music, right? So that was huge, but that wasn't necessarily something that a lot of the Black community was listening to at the time, right? It was alternative emo rock music that was popular, but it wasn't necessarily like, you know, huge of what the Black community was listening to at that time. So I listened to a lot of different music because I had a lot of different friends and I was accepted in a lot of different areas and I knew how to act with within each different community but I also knew what I liked and so by the time I got to college like I knew I liked being with people that did have a culture right that Mm -hmm. did have an actual true identity so I connected a lot with the Latinx community and a lot with the LGBTQ community because Mm -hmm. they had cultures that they could grasp onto they had history that they could grasp onto they had a language that they could grasp onto and that was fascinating to me because I as a black person in America don't really have that I'm just American Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, and everything else about it is kind of what I have made myself to be other than that stamp of color on my face of being black (laughs) (laughs) now would you say though that you always even like like did you always feel safe as a black person I I ask that because I I always feel like growing up in the inner city one of the things I think about areas like yours stereotypically is like oh if I'm a black person out in these parts then I'm a target I'm not safe here right like oh if somebody wants to snatch me into the night through the cornfield this is a great spot Now, for that to happen. Um, and, you know, and then oftentimes when I am in those spaces, the first thing I instinctually run to is to compromise my blackness in order to hide and, and sort of like camouflage as much as possible. Um, and, and so I wonder, like, did you grow up feeling safe? Like, or was that a thing? Like, would you fear the police, would you say, growing up where you were? Or was that not? No, that definitely was not a fear that I, I've had, to be completely honest. It wasn't necessarily a fear of the police coming to you know, kind of like harass me or like ask me where I've been coming from. It was more of people, not necessarily cops. It was more people asking me and wondering or looking at me because I'm in an area where I've grown up my entire life, right? Even walking around my neighborhood, like I have to like make sure that like I'm wearing the certain, like a, like the right amount of clothes to show that like, I'm just taking a stroll around my neighborhood where I've grown up my entire life. Like I'm not an outsider, but I am probably one of maybe two or three black people that live within my neighborhood. Wow. Um, so there's really not that many. So just to like, you know, see another black person walking around, you already kind of feel like 
you have to just make sure that people know that you're not about to run up on them, like you're not following them, like you're just minding your business. <laughs> um, and that you, you, you live here. <laughs> you have to kind of like project that <laughs> in some way. Wow. Yeah, so not necessarily scared, but just like making sure people know that they're safe. <laughs> Just, which is twisted to have to do, but yeah. Yeah. So you never, did you ever have, find yourself in moments where you felt you had to defend uh, your blackness or, or like, or like sort of not explain your blackness, but defend, I, when I say defend, like, I mean, like stand up to a misconception that somebody may have about your blackness to white people around you. Like, were you ever fetishized or watched black people in the community be fetishized or like sort of like looked at as a science experiment or was it really one of these things where it was like, yo, people didn't really ask those sorts of things. Yeah, no, I didn't have to go through anything like that. It it's definitely has been more of just like microaggressions because people not black felt comfortable with me. I I I was the black friend. I was the black acquaintance. I was the the ratio within this person that they felt like, "Oh, they're diverse because they have a black person in their life. Like they have a Jessica in their life." So, you know, obviously they're not you know, they're inclusive to, to every type of person, but it, it's, it, it's kind of different when you have someone who does co-switch to make you feel comfortable to be around me, right? Like to make sure for you to even have like a conversation with me and feel like you can say like, oh, it's okay. Like I have a black friend or I know a black person, or I can, you know, figure out more about the black community from this person for you to all of a sudden, for you to, well, not all of a sudden, for you to feel comfortable, I have to do a lot of work on my end to make sure that you feel, um, to not, well, not to make sure, but I do a lot of work on my end so that you do feel comfortable to kind of ask those questions. But then that comes with just a lot of microaggression questions like about hair and about food and about, you know, where my family comes from. Like, I have no idea. <laughs> America. So you, would you say that like in this time right now, in the middle of this like resurgence of heavy conversation around identity and blackness and even things like reparations, right? And how this country has just completely fucked black people. How have you seen your white community respond? Has their engagement around you changed? Is there a lot of white guilt that you're seeing and managing with folks? Or have you always been down with the woke white warriors who are just sitting here looking at everybody else crazy like, yep, yep, I've had it wrong all these years. Or are you doing some labor right now as a black woman in a lot of white people's lives? Yeah, I think the biggest thing that I'm, I'm doing right now is, is showing, um, is showing empathy and, and making sure that they are aware that there's work to be done in realizing about the history of this country, but understanding, especially if, in, if they're in that place where they have felt like, where they felt like they aren't privileged or they all of a sudden have realized that they are privileged and trying to figure out what that is and like kind of mortified that they weren't truly plugged into the history of America um, in order to fight more sooner. Maybe like they mm. feel like what they're doing right now is way too late and that they're on the side of wanting to be an ally and wanting, you know, true equality for all. But now they just feel like I just, my eyes weren't opened wide enough sooner. Um, they're mortified right now. 
they're really mm -hmm. horrified. So those are a lot of the type of people that I talk to. Um, and it's in order for me, I feel like in order to make sure that the work is still being done, that progress is still maintained, you have to give a sense of empathy or they are going to start to do things that are huge, like huge gestures um, and get worn out and overwhelmed super fast. Mm. So if you don't set, if you don't give that level of like empathy and understanding to their journey and their process of realizing that their eyes just really weren't opened as much as they needed to, then they're going to start trying to figure out like what they can do to make up for lost time. And when you're sprinting like that and pushing so hard and so fast, like, I got to make it right. I got to make it right. I got to do my part. I got to do my part. Like you take on a lot and you get very overwhelmed. Like I just see, like, they look like deer in the headlights. They're just like, well, what can I do? I have to do this. I have to do that. It's like, yes, like those are all great things. And those are all important things and that we do have to do. I'm not saying that we're not, I'm saying like, Take something small, take something that you can do every single day that's going to continue to push that needle, that's going to continue to move the mark. Be kinder to yourself with understanding the history and, and the journey. Be kind to yourself when talking to someone else within the Black community, right? Be, be kinder to yourself within these moments so that you can really grasp, really understand, but also continue to do this for much longer. Like this can no longer be a movement, which means at some point it's going to end. This is this is what we have to do on the daily every single day. So that's been my biggest job when talking to people is just making sure that like, yes, I know it's very overwhelming. I'm, I'm so sorry. You're just figuring this out now. Um, but, but, um, but, you know, I'm glad that you are welcome. Awesome. You're, you're welcome here. Now take the time to really dig your feet in, take the time to really understand and take the time to find a purpose within it. Right. Pick, a, pick an area of where you want to focus and where you want real change to happen um, and focus on that area. Understand it, learn about it first. Don't just throw time, money and, and efforts and ideas at it. Take time to understand where it is first. Be kinder to yourself, slow down and then kind of make those big gestures. So, you know, that's kind of yeah i think that like there was a point where at the beginning of covid when a lot of things were happening and you know shit was going down um i noticed that you had started watching like a lot of documentaries and kind of like making sure that like you were kind of educating yourself had to so that you can then put in the work at Google. Can you speak a little bit about your education, you educating yourself, what you were watching, and then how that's translated into what you're doing at Google? Yeah, so I, I had to do that. I think we all had to um, at some point. Again, like I grew up in a Black family, but we didn't really talk about a lot of Black history other than just like what my parents went through growing up in the 40s and 50s and 60s, right? So, um, you know, go like talking about like the actual 
Detroit riots and how my dad was aware of that and a part of that, you know, talking about a lot of things that happened with civil rights in the South and how my mom, you know, was growing up through that. But it wasn't a lot of the history. We didn't truly know a lot that was happening um, or know about it. You just And, you know, school didn't really teach you that much either about, you know, the history of America. And I don't want to talk about, not necessarily... Um, the his like the history of America, not necessarily just Black history, but history in general. So, you know, when things are coming up and you have to talk to a lot of people, you have to kind of do the the background work and just refreshing refreshing yourself and reminding yourself of the things that happened. Um, so I did a lot of that of just watching documentaries. I also was just doing a lot of of work within my work, right? Um, a lot of seminars were coming up, a lot of discussions were coming up on a lot of different documentaries. So in order for me to do my job and make sure like the, the right things were in place, I needed to watch the documentaries to make sure mm -hmm. that the sessions were actually going to run well. But on top of that, that's, that's what we did a lot, especially after um, Ahmaud Arbery's murder. Um, we did a lot of different discussions and initiatives and, and bringing up of documentaries to talk about that to help people kind of learn more. We built, um, you know, some, some resource libraries so people could look at different types of uh, music and podcasts and documentary movies and, and follow different type of activists so that they can learn more. Um, other resource libraries of where people could donate, organizations that they could follow to volunteer. Um, so did a lot of a lot of work there, and just continuing to do work with like internally um, within departments on diversity inclusion, and making sure that you know we're still doing what we can for people that work within our org too. That's that's also important work too. So it's still something that I'm doing on a daily basis. There's like a, another two initiatives that I'm working on within the next two weeks actually, um, just to keep this going. So it's it's something that's very exciting, and again, I'm happy that you know my team put so much time towards it. Yeah, and, and I'm glad that you, you have the space to work on that. I feel like there are even, and I love that you talked about the education piece because I feel like there's this assumption that being black automatically means that you understand the full extent of the movement, oh. you know, how we're here and all that jazz. And, and, and it's not true. And, and it's in that the, the lack of truth in that is displayed even in the way in which people are experiencing this moment in time differently. Like not every black person is sitting here with the same opinion. I mean, hello, we have black Trump supporters in the world, like they exist, right? And so there is this way in which we have to dig into our histories and, and look at things for what they are to really be able to unpack, well, what is the progress? What are we progressing from, right? Because one could argue with that, like, and this is not your story necessarily, but like there are people who grow up in white communities and it's so much so that like they, they are in, they're engulfed in the, in the experience that they had there. And so now the larger history of, of blackness in America starts to seem a little false or even exaggerated for some people, right? Where it's kind of like, well, I'm a black person in America and I've been that my whole life. And half the things people are marching about do not apply to me. Like that is just not, <laughs> just not my life. I don't get it, right? And so it starts to create this false narrative that, that makes it seem like the black community wants to include you in the movement to drag you down and, and make you say that your experience is one thing when it's not versus saying what the black movement wants to do is have the diversity in voices because it is not a monolith and because there's so many layers we can't let overarching you know systems of power 
pigeonhole us into the things that are buzzwords or yeah they'll cover certain things we're doing in the news but they'll cover it in a very particular way like we'll see yes black Lives matter movement stuff but they won't show groups of entrepreneurs that are going trying to build financial literacy institutions and circles for people of color so that they understand investments and stocks and all like we don't see that on the news but we'll see when people are fighting over things and then have arguments around gang violence and things that try to hold black people accountable to their own experience. Like it's just, there's so many malleable ways to present this argument. And so going back to source and facts and information about what happens, I think is super important, no matter where you ultimately land in the movie. It's so true. I mean, even if you are one of, even if you are in that group that feel like, you know, the things that are being blasted across the media don't necessarily apply to you and that doesn't come from your world if you are working on some type of different type of initiative right um it it still comes from somewhere because you are a black person within history right like wherever you're having to push harder wherever you're having to you know or even if it's not pushing harder just like a focus right like that focus is coming from something that has happened within american history within the black community so it is important to always just continue to educate yourself and, and remind yourself of some things like i was watching a documentary for a discussion i was having this, like last month with my team and there was like some archival clips um, from Georgia with uh, John Lewis and how he was leading a uh, like a non-aggression um, like workshop, right? Like how to not use force on another person if you're being attacked, right? Because they were about to go do a sit-in at lunch counters. They were about to, you know, um, freedom riders, they're about to ride on the bus. So they were doing workshops on how to not fight back and how to be peaceful when someone else may be attacking you and fighting at you. And I was like, watching this workshop and this archival video. And I was like, how have I never seen this? Like, how have I never seen something about this? Like, this is, this is Georgia, this is American history. And I've never seen an archival clip like this before. Like, even if this is not something they felt like you know, was necessarily appropriate within the school system. It definitely should have been something that was way more publicized, you know, before now when I'm in like my, you know, my late 20s, just seeing such an important video like this now. Um, so it's, it's very frustrating, but it's good to be able to do this now. Um, and, you know, for, to learn for myself, but also to help other people. So my last question for you um, is sort of an idea, like, you know, like imagination, pro pro provocation, provocation, provocation is the word. <laughs> um, if you had a choice, right, in for your upbringing or for your future upbringing of your maybe kids, would you intentionally choose to raise your child in a more black community or a more white community given your experience is there anything that you feel that could be gained from reversing the experience you had or is there something that you think was gained in the experience you did have that you would want to perpetuate forward yeah um i mean in all honesty i don't necessarily I don't, I don't think the big, huge part of what I missed growing up was really necessarily to like where I grew up. It's more of just like the information I was exposed to. Um, if I had more of an opportunity to, you know, talk more with my, like with my, not my siblings, talk more with 
um, my cousins, right? Like just about different things and, and maybe have that kind of open dialogue. I think a, a lot of it also is just kind of how my family dynamic is too. Um, but uh, just kind of talk more about, you know, openly about experiences and maybe still have those conversations today as we're still a family. Um, I talked about the sacrifices of my parents, right? I feel like that's a huge thing uh, when it comes to kind of understanding the, the culture and, and understanding those sacrifices. That means that, and, and now my parents' values and my siblings' values are different because of that. Um, I feel like if those conversations came up more about our family history, about the sacrifices in order to kind of have these privileges that we have now, um, that would be really huge and kind of, you know, kind of figuring out a dynamic and being kind of more plugged into the history of my family and, and within the black community itself. So I don't know, I don't necessarily, I don't, I don't think it would necessarily be a location thing, more of just a lot more exposure to the history and the community of the family, I think is kind of the biggest thing and kind of where I feel like I missed a lot growing up. Amazing. So, so happy to hear that because, you know, sometimes there are people in, in Spanish, there's the phrase mejorando la raza, which means improving the race, right? Which is always associated with this idea of like marrying white or including whiteness in the experience to better the experience. And so, you know, it wasn't a trick question, but you know, you just never know. Some people walk away and they believe what they believe. And it's just the truth of, of their experience. So, so I was curious about that. So thank you. And thank yeah, you so no, much. I don't, I don't necessarily think you have to to you know clean the bloodline I think in order to have a better life I think that's crazy um I I will personally say that because I did grow up in a white community when it comes to just my interest in, in a mate that I do date more white men uh but that's just a, a preference that is it's just honest uh that is just a preference thing kind of, yes that is a preference thing of where I grew up right like I I am a I am a nature of my uh a creature of my environment um, so as my little teen heart was growing up, it was a lot of white guys that caught my eye. But would you say it's like a, I, it's a preference that's sought after like intentionally or just an option that's open so that you're like, oh, okay. Yeah. Like white dudes are welcome just as much as anyone else. Or is it like a nah white and maybe a black guy? Like, are you into black men? Or are you just like, yeah, I think when I was younger, it was definitely like intentional. It was like, oh, same, which is why I'm asking. So just to be clear, that's also not a set of questions. When I was younger, it was definitely intentional. It was like, I wanted to be with a white guy. Um, but as you grow up, you just, you realize that that's nonsense. You realize that that's ridiculousness. And you also realize more kind of outside of even race, just kind of what your heart wants, right, from a person. So that doesn't, that can't come with any race, right? Because guys are going to be guys, people are going to be people no matter what. Um, they could be, you know, orange and still be crazy. Uh, so, so, you know, that, that doesn't really mean anything. So I think as I grew up, it, it was more of just like the kind of personality I wanted to be connected with and the interest level that I wanted to be connected with and, and kind of be have the kind of the same interest in that way so and then also you know she she really likes people who are attractive so <laughs> a lot of different races a lot of different attractive people but I would say that ultimately my preference or I do still lean towards white men when it comes to dating 
I totally hear. I was like that growing up too. Still have yet to really be. I've never had like sex with like a traditional white man. I say traditional because like I dated a Puerto Rican guy who was white passing depending on the day. So like, yeah, but like I haven't like had a white Bob, Joe, you know, Bob and Joe. I've not fucked Bob and Joe yet. So, uh, <laughs> you know, what I thought was my pre preference didn't has yet to become my reality. Uh, but that's really cool. Jessica, thank you so much for coming on today, sharing all these gems. Can you tell us where can we find you and follow you on the interwebs? Oh, yeah. I'm not huge into social media. She's definitely more of the behind the scenes kind of girl. But yeah, you can follow me on my Instagram, Soul Music 13. Yes, Soul Music 13. And Skittles, where can they find us? And you guys can follow us on Ladies Who Brunch on Instagram, Ladies Brunch on Twitter, <clears throat> at Julie Sa on Instagram, and at The Real Skittles on Twitter. Wonderful. And, and I'm sorry, the mucus was just like, yeah. Thank you guys so much for tuning in this week. And until next time, bronche. <laughs>